You are listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message by Pastor Terry Riley, titled Keep Going, from the series Foundations. For more information, visit creekside.org. If you would take your Bibles and turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. Uh, before, uh, right before Christmas, I went backwards in Genesis to talk about walking with God, and now I'm going forward to the end of our series uh, in Genesis on foundations. I want to look at the life of Abraham, which is the next step uh, in the Genesis series. We're not going there, but uh, we'll come back uh, in the next few weeks in finishing our Genesis series this month. I don't know about you, but I want to live a fruitful life. I want it to be fruitful with my family, with my kids, with my grandkids. I want there to be fruitfulness around me that people can pick from and, and receive from. And what I've learned is you really have to have a plan for that. You have to, you have to really move and decide that you want to have, be a fruitful person and that you want to move and live in the flow and the wake of God's blessing for your life. And Abraham is really a classic example of that for the Christian life. He lived as an example of God's blessing, and it's really how we're, and he shows us how to live. Romans chapter 4 talks about how he's the father of our faith. And because he's the father of our faith, he's kind of this prototype of what it means to live a life of faith. God's going to give him these incredible blessings for his life about identity, about blessing, and about being a a, a person that, that gives blessing to others. I don't know about you, but I just, it really sounds good to me. I mean, who wouldn't want something like that? When I was growing up, one of the key lessons, my dad, I don't know that he taught me a lot of lessons, but one of them that he taught me was, you don't quit, you finish what you start. You start a sport, you finish it. Start a paper route, then you got to do it for six months or a year or whatever the time was. You don't quit in the middle. And because of that, I, I learned I never quit at anything. Because I think we understand, you know, anybody can finish and we see, anybody can start. And a lot of people start things, but a lot of people aren't good finishers. And, and, and I see this all the time, you know, in the life of the church and in the life of people's Christianity. They kind of go, well, you know, it's really not working like I thought it would. And I don't know what we think it's supposed to work like, but there's, there's really no promises that uh, other than God says, I'm going to get you from here to there and everything else in between. Uh, you know, it's kind of, it's not up for grabs, but anything can happen. But sometimes we think God owes us something. But what I'm finding is, is and sometimes people don't like this, is your life is made up of your decisions and your choices day by day, week by week, month by month, and year by year. And believe it or not, part of those choices have to do with the blessings that we get to experience. I love the quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson who said this, you sow a thought, you reap an action. You sow an act and you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. You sow a character and you reap a destiny. And I think we're going to look at the life today, just one little microcosm, one little, one little insight into it where it starts, where Abraham has to make some decisions that are going to ultimately affect his personal destiny in the things of God. So I want us to start, uh, if we could, in Genesis chapter 11 at verse 27. It's the end of a genealogy, which is always exciting, but it becomes somewhat important as we see where Abraham is going to go, the father of our faith. So verse 27 says this, these are the family records of Terah. 
Now, Terah fathered Abraham. It says Abram in your Bible because remember, I believe it's in chapter 17 where God changes his name from Abram to Abraham. And that's a whole nother talk. So I'll probably refer to him as Abraham just because that's how he's mostly known throughout the scriptures. So Terah fathered Abraham, Nahar, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. And Haran died in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans during his father Terah's lifetime. Now, Abraham and Nahor took wives. Abraham's wife was named Sarai, and Nahor's wife was named Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now, Sarai was barren, and she had no child. Now, there's a lot of names there. Um, If you see Sarah, it says that she had no child. That becomes very important because we get to see God do this miraculous work in her and through her later on in just a number of chapters to really begin to bring forth not only the Messiah, the seed that would bring the Messiah, Jesus, but uh, just this royal lineage uh, through her. Now, verse 31, it says, Terah took his son, Abraham, his grandson, Lot, who was Herah's son, and his daughter-in-law, Sarah, and his son, Abraham's wife. And notice what it says. They set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan, period. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And it says that Terah lived 205 years, and there he died in Haran. So... They started off in Ur of the Chaldeans. They wanted to go to Canaan, but they ended up going to Haran. And they kind of, it says they lived there. And that's where Abraham's father died. Then verse 12, excuse me, chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abraham, I want you to go out from your land, your relatives, your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now, notice these I wills that God says. These are things he says, I'm going to do this. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who treat you with contempt and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And that's he's saying because through through this lineage, through this royal lineage that he's going to establish, Jesus is going to come through this uh, lineage And that's where the blessing of the whole world is going to come through. So Abram went, and as the Lord had told him. Now Lot went with him. Abraham Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai and his nephew nephew Lot, all the possessions that they had accumulated and the people that he had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Now when they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Morah. And at that time, it says the Canaanites were in the land. That's kind of an important point. But but the Lord appeared to Abram and he said this, I will give this land to your offspring. So it says he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. And from there, he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the right. And there he built an altar to the Lord and he worshiped. And then Abram, Abraham journeyed by stages to the Negev. A, a little background is we, we see here in chapter 12, Abram, Abraham is called by God. Now he's still living in Mesopotamia at the time of his original call. And he says to leave his family in the land of Ur. And God says, I'm going to take you to this place called Canaan. 
Now, from Ur of the Chaldeans, if you, you have maps in your Bibles, it kind of his, his his travel would have been like this, kind of like a, a mountain. And it's about an eleven hundred mile journey. Now, Ur, where they came from, was kind of this upscale river town. It was kind of a hot spot in that day. Uh, historians believe that this is potentially where bathtubs were first invented. So a lot of ladies would have loved that. Now, it was a center for manufacturing and for farming and, and for shipping. And it, was, it had just really good fertile land and a lot of wealth there. Uh, in Acts chapter 7, verses 2 through 5, uh, the, the, the passage instructs us further on Abraham's call. And we see that this here call in, in, in Genesis chapter 12 is probably the second time that God called him to leave his homeland to go to Canaan. But it's interesting, we see that in, in chapter 11, verse 31, it says that Abraham's father, Terah, was leading the way, which is really probably the first issue that caused some issues for Abraham. He's really not following God's plan for him because God said, I want you to leave your country and your family and everything behind. But he travels kind of in this little family caravan and they arrive in Haran, which is a border town in the Babylonian region before they enter into the Babylonian region. It's kind of an oasis. It's a town that was probably about 500, 600 miles from Ur of the Chaldeans. So it's about halfway or maybe just a shade over halfway for where God called him to go. Again, Ur, Haran, Canaan. He gets up here and it says he stops. It would be like, it would probably be like this to best illustrate it. If God said, okay, listen, Terry, this is what I want you to do. I want you to leave Northern California and I want you to go. I got a great work for you to do in Mexico City. And I said, okay, God, here I go. And I take up my little family and we kind of caravan and we end up getting down to San Diego, this little border town before Mexico. And we go, whoa. This is nice. I mean, as a matter of fact, it might be just a little bit nicer than what I just came from. And so I begin to get about halfway to where God calls me to go, but I hole up there in San Diego and make that my little place of, uh, of residence now. That's what happens here with Abraham and his family. And it's believed they were probably there for over 15 years until Terah died. And they may have settled there if God hadn't stepped in in Genesis chapter 12 and reminded and reiterated to Abraham, listen, I've called you to Canaan, not Haran. If you remember, it was in uh, Matthew chapter 8 where Jesus is calling people to follow him. There's these throngs that are gathering around and Jesus says his basic call was just come and follow me. And a guy says to him, well, Lord, you know something I really can't right now. I want to go bury my dad. I want to go bury my dad first. Well, his dad, it isn't like he was dying. He was saying, I just want to go take care of my dad. I want to take care of stuff, and I want to hang out with my dad for a while. And then when he dies, I'll bury him, and then I'll come and follow you. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. And it isn't that he was being, you know, he wasn't being sideways with him. He was just saying, this is the priority. There are priorities when I call you to do something that take precedence. And that's really what's happening here. God says, I want you I want you, don't delay. I want you to move. I want you to get going. I want you to follow and keep going. And hear me, loved ones, I think you would say the same thing to some of us as we enter into this new year. 
Because there's a process and there's kind of a preparation for this new season. Because if you want to live a blessing, a life of blessing, if you want to experience the fruitfulness of God in your life, you've got to determine at some point to daily work and do all that you can to live in the will of God as Abraham does. And I want you to see just a couple of things. I've I've done some talks before on God's will and understanding, but let me just give you a couple of quick principles. Number one, it's really, I believe, impossible for you and me to miss the will of God. Sometimes we see it as so structured and so tight that we're going to miss it, but I I believe it's almost impossible to miss it. The only way to miss God's will is if you know what to do from this word, from somebody speaking into your life, from God speaking into your life, and you just say, I'm not going to do it. That's really about the only way you can miss the will of God because God's will is so much bigger and broader than we sometimes understand it. And, and as I said a couple of weeks ago, God's building us and he's working with us as we go along. And we think that his will is like these two tracks that we got to get on and hope we find the right tracks. But really his will has to do with our desires, those things that we, we have from our life, uh, that we, how we're made and how we're wired. And it's much bigger and broader than what we understand. And we have to understand that God's will, it's not an event, but it's a process. It's ongoing. It says we make the right choices when God says do this or don't do that. And we make those choices. We're walking in his will and it begins to expand and the revelation and the working out of that begins to happen and take place as we're going along. It is a process. It is a journey, not a destination. I have not arrived, I believe, at God's will for my life. I am in it. But there's so much more that I believe every week, every month, every year that he wants to expand for my life personally, for my family, for this church. And it's the same for you. But here's the deal. We kind of get like Abraham sometimes and we can end up in San Diego or Heron and we can go, "Ah, wow, this is pretty comfortable. Why in the world would I ever want to leave here? And that's where we get stuck sometimes. See, you can't steer a parked car. And I really believe, listen, there are times, and I do this, where I just say, Lord, I'm going to stop everything for a short time, and I'm just going to read the word, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to listen for your voice, and I'm going to journal, and I'm going to try and write down thoughts that you give me. I do that every, every now and again. I hope you do that. But can I tell you how God's will usually unfolds for me? It's as I'm going. It says I'm moving. It says I'm in motion. I'm doing something. And God speaks into, into my life, into my spirit, things that he wants me to do, not do, or move on, or not move on. And I'm finding that as I do that, it keeps, it keeps me tethered to his spirit, and it keeps my head tuned toward heaven. Because I'm moving, and I'm doing, and I'm going forward, but all the while I'm saying, Lord, guide me, speak to me. And lead me. And sometimes, you know, you, that, that's really how we begin to understand God's will and his assignments for our life. And God steps in and like he will with Abraham, he'll speak something to you sometimes. And the key is, are you ready? Are you open? Do you want to hear? And I've learned this about God's will. A lot of times, and I've kind of lived this way for most of my life, God's always, always put me in something over my head. I mean, I'm in over my head right now. And some people 
think that I, I don't really, I am. I mean, I've never pastored a church this size before. And so there's always things where I'm saying, Lord, what in the world do I do now? And that's a good thing because it brings me to the place. And if you're in over your head right now, that is a good thing, loved ones, because you know what, hopefully what that's going to do, it's going to force you to your knees and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? How am I going to deal with this situation in my family, in my business, in my life? And I've got to do that with our church this coming year because I've never been this way before, pastoring a church this size. So I've got to continue to say, Lord, what, what do you have next for us? What do you want to do? And I've got to keep moving. I, I can't just stop and go, boy, whew, <laughs> isn't this nice? Never been here before. Kind of like it. I think I'm just going to sit and enjoy all these wonderful people that I see. They're so sweet and wonderful. And, well, yeah, we have some pretty good resources that we get to work with as well. Isn't that great? Oh, yeah, our community, they kind of know about us. And, you know, we have a pretty good reputation. But, but see, we can't stop there, loved ones. I can't do that as a pastor. I can't do that as a person. And you can't do that in your life. But so many of us in Christ, we just kind of get to these little outposts. And we just go, ah, this is nice. And I hope that you head into this new year saying, Lord, I think you've got something more for me. I think there's something larger that you have for me. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this, that God, we're his workmanships and he's created us for good works that he prepared before our lives that we would walk in. And that's why this statement that I use it a lot is never forget, friends, that God is preparing you for what he has prepared for you. God has already prepared things. And he's saying, I want to get you ready, but you've got to walk with me. You've got to work with me. I want to prepare you for what's already in store. That's what happened with Abraham. He already says, I mean, he hasn't even got to the promised land yet. And what does God say? Guess what? I've got this for you. I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless others that bless you. And I'm going to curse those that curse you. So God starts with Abraham. He's on social security. He's an established member of the AARP at 75. I don't know why he doesn't call him at 35 or 40, but it doesn't happen until he's 75. And I think there's probably a couple of words that we should probably remove from our vocabulary. Two of those are old and retirement. And I, and I kind of, I found myself, and I got to quit doing this because I'm going to start talking myself into it, that I'm this old guy. I'm young compared to a lot of you. And so I'm going to I'm going to try and kind of quit referencing myself as the old guy anymore and just call all of you old. But here's the deal. See, and and, and there's nothing wrong with retirement from something, but but not retirement from from the economy of God's kingdom. I have seen over the years some of the most effective people are fruitful and experience God's blessing later in their years because now they've got the wisdom and they have the time to be able to fulfill the calling that God has for them. I mean, the guy, the prophet Haggai, I started preaching at 95 and established the building of the temple, the second temple. Moses, he wasn't effective in his ministry until he turned to, out to be, until he was 80 years old. So maybe we should remove those words and we should kind of memorize Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, where it says that, that God, that our youth is renewed like the wings of eagles as we walk with Christ and we're tied into his life. 
So we come now to this place. You'll notice that he comes to Canaan. It says that, he wa- that Abraham walks through Canaan. And it makes that little phrase that there's Canaanites in the land. And this is what, what is so important for us. Because, again, talking about just we, we become so comfortable in our Christianity, we forget. You know, Canaan, the, the Canaanites were probably some of the most treacherous, debauched people in all of history and the way they treated humanity. And God says, you know what I'm going to do, Abraham? I'm going to place you. I'm going to place your family right in the middle of all of that darkness. And I think that we we can't forget that, loved ones, that sometimes God wants to place us into the worst and most difficult areas of life where the enemy is encamped and entrenched. And that's hard for us to really gain because we do. We live in the wonderful East Bay, and yeah, we have problems and issues and difficulties here, but it's nothing like what he experienced. But never forget, God has placed you where he wants you. And some of you, just to break it down in 2016 now, you think, oh, I've got this awful job. You know, I work with this awful people or I've got this bad neighborhood. There's neighbors there I don't like. Or, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it is, and never forget. See, we, we, we begin to want to pray our way out of there instead of saying, God, I want to pray about what you can do to use me there. And never forget that God has placed you where you are for his higher purposes, not your comfort and convenience. All of those places are meant to make us grow. And God's will will never, never be diminished by the crisis or the difficult that we face, but it will usually grow. So he says, this is the land and this is the place. I want you to, when I was, that's, this is why it's so important for, for journaling, I believe, friends, is because when you get into these difficult times or you get into these delays or you feel like you're just not moving forward, I journal. I write down things that God speaks to me so I can look back as a reminder of what God has already communicated to me so that when I'm moving forward, I know I can go in the confidence that he has spoken it to me. Or sometimes I just have questions. I say, Lord, what's going on here right now? But that's how I learn to hear and to discern God's will and God's voice in my life. Because God's patient with us. We believe that there was probably a 15 to 20 year break between chapter 11 and chapter 12 where his father, Terah, has to die. Terah's name literally means delay. And so, so Abraham is probably delayed in this place and this state. But we never hear, God doesn't speak to him until after he dies. I don't know why. I can't read too much into it, but maybe it's because God, no, okay, he's just going to stay there with his dad until he dies. But as soon as he dies, God speaks again to Abraham and reiterates his call. And I love this because he doesn't badmouth him. He doesn't say, well, God, he doesn't say, well, Abraham, you know what? You wasted 20 years there waiting for your father to pass. So, uh, you know what? I'm going to bless you, but I'm not going to make you a great nation. He doesn't start taking things away from him. He says, okay, let's keep going. And I think that's how God works with us. Some of us get delayed and some of us, we get fearful or some things come up and we begin to not move forward. And God's not getting mad to us, but he'll come and reiterate his call for us. And he'll say, okay, let's go. Time to get up. It's kind of like with our kids. You know, we don't, you know, if our, we're teaching our kids to walk or we watch them, we don't sit there and, oh, you stumbled and get up and spank them or something. What do we do? 
We just help them back up and brush off their little buns and push them on their way, and we applaud. Oh, good job. And I can't help but think that that's how God works with us in different degrees. It's critical. Keep going. We're just like Abraham. We're his spiritual offspring. Don't be a person that only goes so far and then gets stuck in the same place. What's the key? Well, the first thing is, is we see it's obedience. In verse 1 there of chapter 12, God says to him, get out from your land. Get out from your land. So verse 4, what does it say? He says, get out from your land. This is what I'm going to do. And Abraham departs. Boom. He responds to what God gives him as a directive. And that's the same thing with you and me. When God speaks to us, loved ones, it's so critical that when he speaks, there needs to be a response. If he says, go here, we go there. Don't do this. We don't do that. But we respond immediately to what he says. Why is responding to God's voice so important in his wisdom, his word in our lives? Well, if you read the book of Proverbs, it's really a book about wisdom and understanding. You gain knowledge and then you gain wisdom, which is the practical application of knowledge. But here's just a couple. Proverbs 14, 12 says there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. He says you can can begin to think and feel secure in your personal decisions, but in the end, they're the way of death. That's why you want to pursue God's wisdom. See, when when Abraham decided to stay in the land of of Haran, halfway there, what happens? Well, people begin to die around him. I'm not talking like God's going to strike people dead. But there's just things that there's not a reproduction of life that helps you grow and to move forward in the things of God when you stay and you don't respond to what God's called you to do. Proverbs three seventeen through 18 says that it's talking about wisdom and, and wisdom is personified in the book of Proverbs as a woman. It says her ways are pleasant, her paths are peaceful. She's a tree of life to all who embrace her and those who hold on to her are happy. So why respond in obedience? Why respond to God's wisdom? Because you'll know peace and happiness. Remember, remember King Solomon? First Kings chapter 3, God comes to him as he becomes the king. And he says, Solomon, what is it you want? I want to give you what it is you want. What does Solomon say? He just says, I want, the, I want your wisdom to lead your people. He could have asked. It was a blank. I mean, get a blank check from God. Can you imagine that? It was so self-effacing and humble. And he says, I just, I just want, I want the wisdom of God to lead your people. And what does God do? I mean, God just, whoo, just lavishes blessing and grace and fruitfulness upon him. And he had more riches and he had more goods than any man has probably ever had in life. Why is that? Because when God finds a heart, when God finds a man or a woman who says, I want God what you want, he just goes, and he blesses them. Proverbs chapter 1, as I said, Proverbs is a book of wisdom. Proverbs 1 really becomes the introduction to wisdom. And it says that when we respond to God's word and wisdom, we become a wise people. You know what a wise person is? It's someone who knows they don't know it all. It's really true. And, 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 and hopefully as you get older, you begin to get wiser. And yet in the process, you really do begin to realize how much you really don't know. Because that's when God says, now I can position you in a way to, make you, to give you more wisdom. Because if you know it all, you're not going to ask. You're not going to seek it. You got it all. But when you become a person that true wisdom understands, I don't know it all. 
you begin to pursue the ways of God. Have you ever counseled people? It's always interesting. Oh, PT, I just, I just I want to get counseling from you. And then you start sitting down with them, you start talking to them, and they tell you everything they know, and they don't need any counseling. They know it all. Are you kidding me? Why are you wasting my time? You know it all. And that's how people we can get sometimes. But see, when you come to God, he says, well, if, you, if you understand that I know just a little bit more than you, that's when you'll grow in wisdom and leads to obedience. Proverbs ten fourteen says that wise people store up knowledge and wisdom in their lives. David said it this way, that word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I mean, God really messes with me as a sinner. I mean, sin just used to be really easy. You know what I mean? I mean, I, you know, I just sin. Okay, let's go sin. That's easy. It's not as easy now. Because I get these red lights in my heart, in my mind, because I've, 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 I've hid this book in my, in my heart. And I continually do that. I just ordered me a new Bible for the new year because this one's fallen apart. It's taped everywhere and the bindings are coming apart. And uh, so I just ordered me a new one that I can mark up. And somebody said it this way, that a Bible falling apart probably belongs to somebody whose life isn't. And I want that. I, I, I don't want to sin. I want to be obedient to what God calls me to do and to become. And that's why wisdom and obedience becomes important. And we see throughout the scriptures, loved ones, obedience, the decisions, the choices toward obedience are always rewarded. And it says here that Abraham, he got up and he departed at God's word. Remember, every time God speaks something to you personally, whether it's from here, whether it's through here, whether it's through prayer, you become responsible for that. You become responsible to move and to act on that. Sometimes people will say, well, man, I feel like I've heard from God for 20 years. Well, why is that? It's probably because he's already spoken to you and he's saying, you know something? You got to move on that before we move on to the next thing. The first thing that God speaks to Abraham after chapter 11 is let me reiterate my call that I gave you 15 to 20 years ago. Get up, move, go so that I can fulfill my promises in you so they can be fulfilled through you to the people around you. And so we see here the next thing is the dedication of Abraham's life. He responds to God's word. He's dedicated to go his way. Hebrews chapter 11, where it talks about the hall of faith. It says in there that Abraham by faith obeyed God. He was committed to him. This wasn't some, listen loved ones, this wasn't some kind of a casual relationship with God where he'd just kind of hang around with him and go through services, you know? Just kind of, I'll brush into God on a, on a Sunday morning. But this was a committed relationship where he said, Lord, I, I want to live for you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do this and I'm going to give that up so that I can really serve you. It's really what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 to the church at Rome and to us today. He says this, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, to be what? To be holy and to be pleasing to God. Why? Because this is your spiritual worship. See, worship goes beyond what we do right here in singing and, and raising our hands or whatever else we do. He says it's really about your life. It's about this 24-7, 365 in your life where you live out your worship. 
He says, don't be conformed to this age or to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern, understand, and know what the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God, excuse me, of what God is. See, it is here as we come to his word that, 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 that we establish the values and the convictions of his life. And sometimes we forget that we've got to choose those ways, that we're not just simply being conformed to this world. Isn't it so easy? Now, people read this little passage here in Romans 12, and it says, okay, I've got to discern the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And we begin to think that, okay, hmm, God's good will, God's acceptable will, and God's perfect will. It's kind of like we have a choice. And we'll choose what we're comfortable with. It's kind of like, let's make a deal with God. Okay, God, your perfect will is probably going to be kind of hard. <laughs> so I think I'll take door number two, the good will. I think I can handle that one. And so we kind of, we get, we kind of, we can kind of get slack in the way we see, the way we live, and we'll go, good, perfect, pleasing. And I don't think that's what Paul's trying to communicate at all. I think what he's saying is that what he's really communicating is when you present your, your life, loved ones, to God fully, you know what you're going to find his will to be? It's going to be three things in your life. It's going to be good for you. It's going to be pleasing to you. And it's going to be perfect for where you are and what God's called you to do. And this time of year, I think it's so important that we we make those kinds of decisions and choices to walk in it. Some of you probably already made decisions or, you know, we call them resolutions or whatever. We resolve, I'm going to eat better. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to eat less. I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to save more money. On and on, we write these things down. And most of the time, they're done by March. Not done, but finished. We don't do them anymore. But see, Abraham's getting ready to take a pretty big journey. He's got to go another four or 500 miles. He's got to prepare and he's got to plan and he's got to execute it because he's already been given what God wants him to do. And I hope that there's things in your lives, loved ones, that when you leave here today, you'll say, I know this is what God's called me to do, wants me to do, and I've been stuck halfway there and I haven't gone all the way in its time. And you'll see here his daily dedication Back in Genesis 12, we see that Abraham, what's he doing? He was often building altars. You study this out, you'll see that when do altars usually come in the Old Testament? Altars were just a place where, where patriarchs and prophets, they would set these place up to worship. And they would usually come at difficult times and they were built from hard things, rocks. And they would just go and they'd pick up these hard rocks and they'd place them and they'd build this altar unto God. It was a way for them and a way to express their worship. And I want to tell you, loved ones, as difficult as, as difficult as it is to deal with hard things in our lives, it's usually there where God calls you into the deeper things of life in his life. It's impossible to gain insight. It's impossible to receive direction without time with God. Because that's where he speaks into our lives. No crisis will ever diminish his call 
or his voice. Job 37, 14 says this, stand still and consider what God has done for you. And that's what Abraham is doing when it says as he's building altars as he does throughout his story. He builds an altar and he says, it's here, Lord, that you spoke to me. It's here you led me. It's here you showed me. And it's here you gave me your promises. And I want to live those out. You really can't have daily dedication to the Lord unless you slow down a little bit. I don't know about you, but this year, I want to slow down just a little bit. I'm a fairly active, busy person. I've got to do this. I want to do that. I need to do this. But more than ever, I realize I can't hear God's voice and get his directives if I don't slow down to hear him, get close to him. I had uh, We had Isaac spend the night the other night, and yesterday morning we're We've always done this since he was old enough to walk. And he's just a really physical kid, and he's pretty big now. His dad's a pretty big guy, and he's six. And so what we've always done is our bed became a, a WWF mat. <laughs> and uh, no kidding. Uh, and, and, and he would uh, um, we'd come, and we'd wrestle. And he, you know, he's just as physical. He'd jump, and he'd kick, and he'd punch. And it's had to stop now because he's too strong. But, but, but he, he just loves jumping and jump up and land on me and, you know, and we, I'd make all the WWF sounds and he just loved that. It was interesting because yesterday we were doing that and I noticed that he wasn't quite as um, um, intense on killing me or beating me up. <laughs> and, and a couple of times he would do it and then he would just kind of, kind of, kind of move into me and just it's almost like he what he really wanted was just kind of this wrestling embrace that I would often do on him and it's almost like he was content with that and, and later I thought you know this with him I always think when he leaves I just I want to invest in his life I want to speak to his life I want to I just want to I want I want to hopefully influence him for the things of God and I thought you know if if that's important to him to just kind of experience my embrace and if it's important to me to embrace him and invest in him and to speak into his life, how much more does the Heavenly Father want to do that with you and with me? And to just to pull us in closer to experience him, to get out of all the things that we do in life, all the activities, and just say, would you just come and just sit with me? Would you just come and let me embrace you and speak into your life? Because it's their loved ones where you establish the values and the conviction and the wisdom of God for your life. It's when Abraham built the altars that he just took this time to hear from God. Because see, wisdom is simply investing in what is eternal. It allows us to see things that other people don't see. I believe this, that wisdom is an insider job, that when we begin to understand the wisdom of God through his word, through prayer, and through our spirit, through our reading and through our journaling. Can I tell you what happens? We really do. We get insider information because we get information from God that other people don't get. And it helps us to live our life. It helps us to live the way that God wants us to live. I don't know about you, but this year I want to I be the real thing. I want to have a fruitful life. I want to have a I want a fruitful life for God, for our church, for you. I don't even know how it happens sometimes. I, this is a weird story, and it really makes me look good, and, it, and I don't mean for it to, but 
I, I, when, I, when I think of the blessing of God, this is how, this is how I, I, I think it works. I was, uh, I was in ER on most of Thursday. And, you, you know, uh, Walnut, most ERs, they have all these rooms that are open. And then you get the nursing station in the middle so they can keep an eye on all the, on the people. And I'm, and I'm in there. And my ER doctor comes in and starts hooking me up, and or not, he's not hooking me up, but he's doing all the questions and stuff and getting me ready. And and uh, and he says, "Well, what do you do for a living?" I said, "Well, I pastor a church." And, and how does that affect all your stuff that we're, you're here for? And I told him, and he's real nice and tried to be really helpful and left. The nurses come in and, and hooked me up and did some things to me and. I took this this breathing apparatus thing, and it was about a two hour, two and a half hour thing that I did, and it was really interesting because I don't know about you, but you know whatever happened to like patient confidentiality and stuff? I'm sitting there in this room, and there's this gentleman over there in in one of the other rooms, and he's with his mother, I believe, and um, and just and he's just standing there at the doorway. I mean, I mean, for two or three hours, he's just looking around. And, and, and it felt like he was staring at me for at least an hour and 55 minutes because <laughs> I'm sitting on this bed, you know, my little smock, and, and I'm sucking on this thing, and he's kind of smiling at me, and then he'd look around, and he'd keep looking at me, and I finally turned to Trina because she got up, and she was went outside and was started looking around. I said, honey, don't be like that looky-loo over there, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, you know, let's get some confidentiality here. And, um, and, and I don't know, after an hour or so, I had to get unhooked and I had to go and walk to the bathroom. And I walked by this guy and kind of nodded. And then I go to use the restroom and I come back. You know, you got this smock, so I'm trying to kind of hurry so everybody can't see me in all my glory. And, um, and he looks at me. He goes, I just hope you're all right. I go, well, thank you, sir. That's really kind of you. And I just kept going. And uh, a couple hours later, he's checking out his mom. And uh, he's getting ready to check out his mom. And Trina walks by this time. And he looks at Trina and he goes, you know, your husband's really a nice man. And she goes, well, he's all right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I know him. I've been married to him for 38 years. And, uh, and she was nicer than that, of course. And she said, yeah, he's all right. And, and he goes, well, and he goes, well, you must be really nice, too, to be married to him. And, um, and she goes, yeah, probably I'm really the nicest one. And, uh, that's, that's Trini, you understand. And she walks on and then, and then it was a little bit later. He's, his mother's checking out. And before he, before he checks out, he literally comes over to the front door of my thing, stands there. And he goes, you're just a really nice guy. I, I hope you are good. And, and I said, well, thank you, sir. That is just really kind of you. I said, I passed her and Martinez and, you know, if I'm nice, it's just, you know, God's goodness. And, and, you know, and then he left pretty quickly. And um, <laughs> he really did. I didn't tell the rest of it on first service, but he, it's almost like that was period. Okay, now I'm gone. But, but he was just so nice. And can I just tell you something? I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't do anything. I honestly didn't. And I thought, that, that, I think that's just God's blessing. That somehow, some way, you can walk into a place and, and there's just something of that there. And, and it's not because I'm so good, because I, I mean, I call him a looky-loo, you know? And it wasn't a derisive term, but I was, I, but, but I, I thought, I says, God, can you just give me that all the time? 
so that wherever I go, wherever we go, we get to bring the blessing of Christ. Would you like that? Can you believe for God to do that? Here's what I think we need to do. Some of us, all of us, would probably have to evaluate our life and say, halfway, where am I? Where have I got stuck? Where have I got stopped? Where has God called me to? Where have I got comfortable? For some of us, it might be this service where you know God's challenged you for a long time to get baptized. And you said, nope, nope, I'm stopping right here. No baptism for me. Maybe some of us have said, ministry. I took a break 12 years ago and haven't re-engaged. For some of us, we quit doing our devotions where we just sit and listen to the Lord and read his word and pray. Maybe it's time to re-engage. Maybe it's time to make it right with somebody. I don't know. But I would be willing to bet there's at least a few of us that are halfway. And you're wondering, where do I experience the blessing? And that's what I want you to do today. Lord, I'm going to keep going. I hear your voice to move forward.